Good afternoon, everyone. I will read in your hearing Genesis 39 from verses 1 to 6. And it says, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him out of the hand of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in, the si in his sight, and he served him, and he made him an overseer over his house, and all that he had he put in his hand. And it came to pass that from the time he had made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. I've titled my message this morning, um, Joseph, Successfully Negotiating Family Transitions. And this course comes because I'm teaching a course this week on family transitions. And so I invite you to imagine with me for a moment that you are six years old. Your father suddenly moves his wives, his children, and his large herds of livestock and family to a new city without telling your grandparents and cousins. Before departing, your mother steals some of her father's treasured valuables. And he comes after your parents. He's angry that they have left and that some of his possessions are missing. And he has lost his hardest worker, who is your father, and he didn't even have a chance to say goodbye to his two daughters, one of whom is your mother. Imagine that you're watching with trepidation as he approaches, and he seems to be quite angry. There are accusations and there are harsh words between your father and your grandfather, and you don't really understand all of it, but you notice that the meeting ends in conciliation. Some time go by and you're living in the new city and your stepsister is sexually assaulted by a man from an important family. And in retaliation, two of your brothers kill all the men in that family. Your mother dies when you're still a child and your father is so grieved that he was not always able to be there for you and to give you the attention that you need. And now you're about 10 years old, and your father decided to move again. But this time, he's going back to his hometown, and he feels compelled to go, but he's obviously scared that his brother is going to kill him. Because you see, your father had run away from home as a young man after stealing his brother's inheritance. And so you are infected with the collective fear in the home, as your father sends ahead a large quantity of very expensive gifts 
to his brother. You hold tight to your mother's hand as your father divides up the family and sends them to different places on the property. Rumors have reached a family that your uncle is on his way with a large contingent of strong men, about 400 of them, and everyone is afraid. Along with everyone else, you are terrified as your father leaves home to go see his brother, and you're not sure what happened to him, but you know that he limped back home the next day and his hip had been dislocated. And you don't care about his hips, you're just happy that your daddy is home. There is a collective sigh of relief as the meeting between your father and your uncle goes well. Actually, it went much better than anyone could have expected. Things settle down for a while, and now you're in your teens, and you begin to receive visions from God, and they tell you that you're going to become an important person, a man of authority, and that you will rule over your family. Your 11 brothers do not take kindly to this news. In, in addition, you are your father's eyes, and you enjoy taking bad reports back to him about your brothers. You are also undoubtedly your father's favorite, and he makes you a special coat, and your brothers hate you even more, and now they conspire to kill you. One day they're at work, and your father sends you with food for them, and as you approach, they begin to taunt you. As you get closer, you hear them planning to kill you, and they cannot agree on quite what to do with you, so they eventually throw you into a pit. Eventually, some human traffickers came by, and they sell you. You end up in a foreign country as a slave to a highly placed government official. He notices that you're different from the other slaves. You're honest and you're hardworking, and he gives you increasingly more responsibility and special privileges. But then misfortune strikes again. The official's wife accuses you of a sexual impropriety and you're thrown in jail. And so with this rich history of transition and turmoil and jail, you're still only a young man. And on top of this, when you recall some of your family history, you recall the stories that you've heard, you notice that there's been some interesting patterns in your, in your family history. Deceit, betrayal, sibling rivalry, jealousy, favoritism. And you wonder, what does this all mean? I have taken some liberties with the story of Joseph to highlight the many transitions and adverse experiences, many of which took place in his formative years. So what do you imagine would be the collective impact on this child? On this young man who experienced ridicule and death threats from his brother, who was thrown down a well while his brothers sat down to eat, probably the food that he had taken to them, who at age 17 goes overnight from being a favored son to a slave, and who finds himself separated from home, separated from family, and from everything that is familiar to him all overnight. 
What do you imagine would be the impact on this child or on this young man? Research and family research has told us that there still remain questions about this impact. So amidst the literature that suggests that the combination of these transitions and changes would result in difficulties for a child, we're still not quite sure, you know, how long these last or do they, are they enduring impacts or are they short-term impacts? Um, to what extent does family conflict have an impact on the child? And what are some things that help them cope? We commonly accept that family transitions can impact a child's development and later functioning. And today, we would use the language of trauma to describe Joseph's life events. And we may refer to many of those as adverse childhood experiences. And we would say that a lot, many adverse childhood experiences cumulatively exposes the child to compromised development and functioning. And in fact, if you worked in the place where I do, we would, put, we would assign him to the program that we call one for adult survivors of childhood abuse. And a counselor could be forgiven if she, if she explored for evidence that Joseph may repeat some of these patterns in his families. And so I asked the question, what is it that caused Joseph to not only survive, but to thrive and to develop into a healthy, functioning adult, while another person may have been permanently scarred by these same set of circumstances? Why was Joseph able to, to withstand and to rebound from major challenges and find positive adaptation in the face of ad adversity. I offer three suggestions, and the first one is resilience. Joseph is an amazing testimony to human resilience. He found the strength and resources to overcome a string of difficulties and to experience growth and prosperity. He became successful in every aspect of his life. He grew into a man of unwavering integrity. And instead of becoming embittered, he retained an ability to love. His love for his family, his love for his brothers remained intact. And when he was, in fact, in an exalted position, he provided for his family he showed them love and he cared for them. Joseph's healing proves that love can conquer hate. It also reminds us that we do not have to be prisoners of our past. My second explanation would be God's presence with Joseph. Three times in Genesis 39, we read that the Lord was with Joseph. God is always with his people. He sees us through trials. He helps us to accomplish plans in our lives, and he uses us to reach out to other people. God is always present, but Joseph had also made a choice to be faithful to God. And Joseph surely knew that when you pass through the waters, he is with you. 
When you pass through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned and the flames will not set you ablaze. Joseph knew that. My third explanation is God's grace. More than human resilience, Joseph's is a story of grace. It tells us that no matter how troubled our family legacy may be, God is able to change that and to secure our present and our future. And we get a sense that nothing happens in vain in our lives. Instead, our past becomes a part of a bigger destiny as long as we trust God. Joseph knew that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. Hence, Joseph could say to his brothers, when they talked about their childhood, he could say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Challenges, hurts, negative experiences, these are all part of the human experience. And we are all to varying degrees broken. And so I ask us to be compassionate to ourselves and to be compassionate to each other. Perhaps we too, like Joseph, can heal and extend compassion. Perhaps we too can take comfort in the words of Jeremiah 29:11, where it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. Perhaps we too can be comforted by the words of Isaiah 43, which I read before, so that we can know for sure when we go through difficult times, God is with us. As I close, it is my prayer that we will, that we too will, by God's grace, tap into our own resilience, keep constantly in God's presence, and claim his promises for guidance, comfort, and healing. Let us pray. Our God and our Father, we stand in your presence as frail human beings. We are broken, we are fragile, but we know that in your presence there is strength, in your presence there is healing, in your presence there is peace. And so, Lord, we claim your presence, your healing, and your peace, and we thank you for hearing us and for answering our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen.